Another thing I'm really excited about is the start of this brand new series called Bold. And the premise for this new three-part sermon series we're kicking off this morning is this. If there is a God, and that God boldly created us and everything around us, and if that God boldly came to this earth in the person of Jesus Christ with a bold mission to bring healing and hope to a broken, hurting world, and if he boldly calls us to follow him and do the things that he did, then you know what the implications are for us then. What are we called to be? Bold, Bold, but you guys didn't say it very boldly. So um, I'm going to say it one more time. So what are we called to be then? Bold. Bold. Very good. You you can't say bold unless you're going to be bold, okay? So the inspiration for this bold series really comes from looking at the early church, those first followers of Jesus. It is amazing when you read the early historical accounts of these Jesus followers because they were bold, you guys. They were so bold. And specifically, we're going to look at three ways they were bold. They had bold faith, which we're going to talk about today. Next week, we're going to talk about how they prayed bold prayers. If you're here and you're like, man, you'd love to kind of jumpstart your prayer life a little bit, you're not going to want to miss next week. And then two weeks from today, we're going to look at the bold persistence they had of just tremendous adversity and suffering and and all sorts of stuff that was going on. These guys boldly, boldly kept moving forward in faith. And so that's where we're headed through um, the next couple weeks of this series. Today, we are talking about bold faith. Now, if I was, and you don't have to raise your hands, but if I was going to ask for a show of hands of how many of you would describe your faith as bold faith, I would venture that we would just have just a a few hands that might shoot up because for the great majority of us who are here, we would say, well, I don't know if I would describe myself as having bold faith. I sure would love to have bold faith, but I don't know that I would say that I've, I've got it, that I've taken hold of it. But pretty much all of us here could agree, wouldn't it be awesome to have more faith? Like, wouldn't it be great if our faith was bold and it was strong and we had a deep sense of the presence of God and we just felt so connected with God and we just had a clear sense that God was with us, calling us boldly and courageously forward and that we could just kind of rest in the assurance of that. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't, wouldn't you like to have some bold faith? Well, That's what we're going to talk about today. How how do we take hold of that bold faith? And we're going to look at somebody who had bold faith. One of Jesus' early followers, many of you will recognize the name Peter. He was one of Jesus' original 12 disciples. And we are going to take a look at Peter today in a story found in a historical record known as the Acts of the Apostles. It was written by a physician named Luke who basically set to, to, to record all kinds of historical things that happened around the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and around the early church. And so Luke, this physician, writes the, he writes, writes the Gospel of Luke, and then he also uh, writes the, the, basically a chronicle of the early 
church known as the, the, uh, today what we call the book of Acts. It's found in the New Testament of our Bible right after the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we find this book of Acts. It's basically just a historical account of those first followers of Jesus. And just for a little background so everybody knows what's going on in the book of Acts. So Jesus has had his earthly ministry and he has been crucified for his claims to be God. He has claimed to be God and he has been nailed to a cross and he's been crucified. He has died. He's been laid to rest in a tomb. And then what the, the scriptures uh, tell us is that then his followers claim that he's risen, that he's appeared to countless numbers of his followers. And then he said, basically, okay, just wanted you to know that I'm still with you, that I'm still God. I've overcome death and you can too, just through faith in me. He says, I'm ascending to heaven and I will intercede for you there. And, um, and I'm going to send my spirit, the spirit of God, we call today the Holy Spirit, to be with you. And so that's what's going on. And the, just this group of early followers, that all this just amazing stuff is, is happening as the spirit of God descends upon them. And they are just so bold in their faith and all kinds of amazing things are happening. So in the midst of all this, we have two of Jesus' followers, Peter and John, two of the original 12 they're going to the temple in Jerusalem. They're going to a, a worship service, kind of like we all showed up to go to church today. Um, so they, they show up to, to, to go to the temple for their worship service, and they come across a guy who has been lame from birth. 40 years he's been crippled. And he asks them for money, and they say, you know what, we don't have money, but heal in the name of Jesus. And this guy is instantly, miraculously healed. And he is so amped up, he's so excited about being healed that he starts jumping and dancing and singing. And this is right outside of the temple, Jerusalem, right in the courtyard. And so it creates such a buzz, such a stir that all this huge crowd of people gathers around. And they're like, oh my gosh, this, this was the guy. I mean, he's been here for years. How, how, how did this possibly happen? And Peter says, you know what? I'll tell you how this happened. This wasn't our power. This wasn't some crazy trick or anything. He, this man was healed by the power of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter just starts talking all about Jesus and proclaiming faith in him. Well, this gets all the religious leaders into a frenzy because they have now caused a massive disruption in what's happening. And so these religious leaders are like, we got to get these guys out of here. This is nuts. So they... They literally have Peter and John arrested and thrown in jail. It's late in the day, so they say, you know what? We'll deal with them tomorrow. Just let's have them just spend the night in prison. So that's what happened. This is all the background so that we're getting ready for the passage this morning out of the book of Acts, chapter 4, starting in verse 5. Luke writes, The next day, the rulers, the elders... And the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Now those three groups, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law, comprised a council known as the Sanhedrin. This council was the most powerful group of people in the nation of Israel. They were like the Senate and the Supreme Court 
all rolled into one. They had all the authority and all the power in the nation of Israel. Luke writes, Annas the high priest was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. This was basically like a who's who of powerful people. And Luke's saying, it is a big deal, all these people who were in the room. Verse seven, it says, they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Now, I want you just to use your imagination for a minute, if you could. And I I just want you to imagine that you are either Peter or you're John. And you have spent the night in jail, and now you are called before a huge group of people, a huge council, the most powerful people in the nation of Israel. And you are standing before them, and they are questioning you about how this healing took place. Now, one of the things that you would know as Peter or John is that this group of people has absolute power and authority. They hold your life in their hands. They have the ability to have you killed, okay? And the reason that you would know this if you were Peter or you were John is because just a few weeks earlier, there was someone else who stood before this very same council. And they were accused of all these crazy, blasphemous claims about being God. Do we, are we tracking with who that person was that stood before the same council? It was, it was Jesus, right? So Jesus had stood before the same council just weeks earlier, and we know what happened to him, right, for those claims. They had him handed over to Pontius Pilate, and he was crucified, dead, and buried. So, now, Peter and John are standing before this same group, knowing what happened to Jesus. And oh, by the way, just one other little tidbit of information. When Jesus was before that council just weeks earlier, Peter had, was, had snuck and he was like kind of in the area. He was out in one of the courtyards and he was basically trying to figure out what's going to happen to Jesus. What are they saying in there? And there was, um, there was someone who recognized him. There was this little girl who recognized him. And she, she was like, hey, aren't you friends with Jesus? Like, don't, don't, you're like one of his followers, aren't you? And he was so terrified of being recognized by a little girl that he completely freaked and he denied even knowing Jesus. It's the thing that Peter's most famous for. He denied three times that night, actually. So here's, here's who we have. The cowering Peter, terrified before a little schoolgirl. And now he's before the most powerful council in the land, and they ask him, by what power or what name did you do this? Check out Peter's response in verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, again, this is the Spirit of God that Jesus promised that he would send to all of those who believed in him. It says, he said to them, rulers and elders of the people, If we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. 
It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And you can just imagine when he said those words, what it must have been like in that room at that moment. He said, whom you crucified, and you can almost picture him pointing his fingers at this council, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. And then he's going to drop a little knowledge on them from these Hebrew scriptures that they all would have been familiar with. He says, Jesus is, quote, the stone that you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone, the most important thing about our faith is actually Jesus, the one that you rejected. He goes on to say, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. That's bold, baby. It doesn't get any bolder than that. And it's incredible if you think about it. So, Here's Peter, goes from cowering before a little girl to now boldly, courageously proclaiming Jesus risen from the dead to the very group that he knew held his life in their hands. So the question is, what in the world happened? How do we explain this turnaround? Because you see, when Jesus was alive, which you think that would be the time when like you'd be pretty bold and pretty, you know, feeling pretty good because if you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus is around, man. He can like cast out some stuff or do, you know, he can do whatever and it's all good. And so you think that'd be the time to be bold, but that wasn't. Peter wasn't bold then. So what's going on? Well, let me take a shot at it. I think while, while Jesus was alive, you got to understand that, you know, Jesus made these claims to be God. And he did a pretty darn good job of giving some evidence, some proof to those claims. It says that when he taught, he taught with such authority that people were left in awe. They were jaw dropped because it was like no mere mortal could say these things or come up with this stuff. It was, it was like it had to be divine wisdom. Jesus healed all kinds of people who were sick, who were blind, who were deaf, all kinds of stuff. He would just heal countless people. And yeah, there were people who did healings and witch doctors and stuff, but I mean, this was unprecedented. And then he could do miracles like feed 5,000 people people and speak to a storm and it just it just went silent and so he was saying he was god and he, he sure had a lot of cool stuff happening around him that would seem to back that up but there was one there was one problem that i that maybe peter had i think i would have had it two thousand years ago in those nagging moments of doubt you know where you're like well he fed five thousand people but like did we really check to see how many other people brought food you know, and, and like that person was sick with a fever, but like, I mean, you know, some people turn around quick from a fever and, and you know, you can start to, you know what I'm saying? You can kind of start to explain some things away. Maybe that storm just was just going to stop in that moment and he just got lucky. And then on top of that, right? So, okay, here's this, 
Here's this one who's proclaiming to be God, but, but you know what, what's like a fundamental thing that would have nagged on me? When you look at him, you look at Jesus, you know what he looks like, right? He's like an ordinary dude. He's like a regular looking guy. There's nothing special about him. He's a human being. And then just to kind of add a little mystery into the whole deal, oh yeah, by the way, we've met his parents or one of them, or how does that work? I'm not sure, you know. Like, that would be hard, wouldn't it? That'd be really hard because you're standing looking at a flesh and blood human being. So I think when those doubts crept in, like, I mean, really? Is he real? I mean, I know he did that stuff. It was pretty amazing, but like, I don't know, man. You know, Harry Houdini did some cool stuff, right? So you've got these moments of doubt and, and, and not, a, not a total bold faith conviction. But then something happens. Jesus dies. And when Jesus dies, at that moment, there's a major problem. Because you see, if a whole movement is built around someone claiming to be God, okay, like, Jesus is saying, they're going, hey guys, you've seen me, you've seen God. I'm the same. God and I are the same. You, you want, I, everything you need to know about God right here. Okay, here's the deal, guys. All you need to know is just have faith in me. I am God. Do you see the problem if, if then all of a sudden Jesus dies? Wait, hold on a second. God can't die, right? Like, how does that, how does that work? That, that, doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. So if the whole movement is predicated on faith that Jesus is God, and now God is dead... Well, guess what? I guess he wasn't really God. So now the movement's over. A movement can continue if it was built on a, a set of principles. If Jesus had come and said, hey guys, I'm gonna show you the way to be enlightened. I'm gonna show you kind of the way this works. I'm gonna spell out a series of do's and don'ts, a series of things that, that you can put into practice in your life. You just do these things and that's the way. That's the way to heaven. That's the way to enlightenment. That's the way to God. If he says that and then he dies... It's okay, right? Because you got the principles. You got, you got it laid out. You just go follow those. You weren't actually following the guy who died. But Jesus didn't say this, you guys. Jesus over and over and over says, no, no, it's not you do these things and that's the way. He says, I am the way. It happens through me. Everything is through me. Faith in me. Do you see how that's highly problematic if then the guy who's saying, I'm God, it happens through me, dies? Does anybody see a problem with the movement at this point? Okay, good. Just making sure you're still paying attention. So then after he dies, the movement should be done. But what we see in Luke's account, the book of Acts, and we also see from secular historians, uh, Roman historians, Greek historians, Jewish historians, is that instead of the movement being over, which logically it would be over, all of a sudden there's all these people and they're walking around and they're going, actually, you know what? He's risen from the dead. He, he is God and you can have faith in him. And, and we, and now even more strongly than ever before, we believe. It's crazy. It's unexplainable. It doesn't make sense. And one of those people that's proclaiming this is none other than Peter. And the only plausible, logical explanation 
for why Peter would stand before the very people that had Jesus crucified and risk the exact same fate. The only way he would do that is if he'd actually seen the risen Jesus Christ. Because if, this is, if Jesus is actually just dead and he's in the ground, why would, you, why would you make something up just so you can look good for a couple last minutes before you die? It doesn't make sense to me. And so now Peter, having seen the risen Jesus and having been filled with the promised spirit of God that Jesus promised to those who had faith in him, all of a sudden he's boldly standing before the most powerful people in the nation. And he's saying, you better believe it. You're darn right. It was through the power of Jesus Christ. I've seen him. He's alive. And Peter had no reason to fear death anymore. You know why? Because he'd seen Jesus die and he'd seen Jesus defeat death. And Jesus says, just faith in me. Death has no power over you. You know exactly where you're going. It's all good. And so that's, that's the best explanation that I can find for this crazy, bold act of faith. Now, let's see how the Sanhedrin, the council, reacts to, Jesus, to Peter's words, verse 13. It says, when they saw the courage, other translations actually use the word boldness, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note, and I want you to catch these words, that these men had been with Jesus. I love this verse. I love how it ends. It's, it's simple, but it's incredibly profound. You're here this morning, or you're with us online, and you would love to have bold faith. You'd love for your faith to be stronger. You'd love for that connection with God to be better. You'd love to to be so in tune with God that you know you're doing bold, courageous things and God's working in you and through you. Well, here's where bold faith comes from. Bold faith comes from being with Jesus. It's so simple, but it's so profound. He's the catalyst for our faith. All these guys had been with the risen Christ and now empowered by their spirit, they were setting the world on fire. Bold faith comes from being with Jesus. Now, obviously, we can't physically be with Jesus in the same way that those followers were. I'm so jealous of them because I'm just a skeptical person by nature, and I definitely feel like I lack faith a lot of times, and I just wish, why couldn't you just appear to me? That would have been so amazing. That would have been so cool. I never would have had a doubt again in my life. And we can't, we can't physically be with Jesus that way. But we have this unbelievable resource. In fact, it is so far beyond the resource that, that those first followers in the early church had. You know what we have? The most amazing thing. We have this thing called a Bible. This has so much incredible information about Jesus Christ, his ministry, his life, his character, his nature. If he truly is God in human flesh, 
we get to see how God interacted with the world. When God came into the pages of human history, you guys, and showed us, here's how I deal with certain groups of people, and here's how I respond to certain types of things. It's all spelled out for us in four different accounts. It's amazing. We get to spend time with Jesus. And no, it's not in that cool lightning bolt way that we wish we could have. But we can sit down and truly get to know Jesus and spend time meditating on his word, his teachings, who he is and what he wants for us. And I just want to ask you, are you making time to be with Jesus? It's so obvious, but yet it's so easy for us to, to lose sight of it and to not do it. You know, we are influenced by so many things in this world. We have so many messages and so many things hitting us all the time. Are you being intentional? Just at least a few minutes spending that time with Jesus and being influenced by him. Now, if you're with us this morning and... Um, Maybe you're at a place where you're like, well, I, I don't necessarily believe that Jesus was God. Um, maybe you're not even sure what you believe. You're just kind of intrigued with Jesus, but definitely not sure what you believe about him at this point. Um, I just want to say first and foremost that you're definitely in the right place. Uh, we're so glad that you're, that you're with us and um, that you're just kind of doing this journey, trying to figure it out like the rest of us are. Too. But if you don't believe, that, that doesn't actually, um, that's, that's, that's not a deal breaker. Because, let me tell you why, and, and this is going to be offensive to many of you, because I, I have to go back to what happened last Sunday in the Super Bowl, okay? And I know it's going to be a little bit of a pain, it's going to be a little bit of a pain spot, okay? Particularly for a guy down here on the front row, a big Falcons fan, okay? Um, so, here's the deal. There's the quarterback of that winning Super Bowl team, his name is Tom Brady. All right? Yeah, there's a few of you who are fired up. You're, you're definitely in the minority in the room. Just, just, don't, just be careful. You got to celebrate last Sunday, so don't celebrate too much right now. Because there's a lot of us, like guys who are Cincinnati Bengals fans, that are very bitter about another Super Bowl victory. But here's the thing. Regardless what you believe about Tom Brady, you might believe that he was just one of those guys that got on the right team at the right time with the right coach. And he is just lucky that he has someone who seems to outcoach everybody else, sometimes legally and ethically, and other times... Okay, never mind. Sorry. It's okay. This is not my therapy session. I'm sorry. Let's bring it back. So you might just say you believe he's had a great coach. You might say he's been the product of a great system and you believe that it's largely in part of the people who are around him that get, attribute that success. You might say that he's the luckiest guy ever. He never should have won the last two Super Bowls and it was just dumb luck, okay? But here's what you cannot argue about. What you cannot argue about is in the Super Bowl era, there is only one quarterback who's ever won Five. It pains me to say that, okay? But there's only one quarterback who's ever won five Super Bowls. And so the way quarterbacks are measured is by basically one statistic. How many Super Bowl rings do you have on your finger? And so arguably, 
Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time. All right? Now, why did I bring up such a painful topic? (laughs) Because no matter what you believe about Jesus, when you just step back and look at the course of human history, when you think about the influence that he's had having lived 2,000 years ago, when you think about all the people across the world that know the name Jesus and follow him, even if you don't believe that he's God, you cannot explain away the fact that he is arguably the greatest person to ever walk the face of the earth. So many movements, so many amazing things have been inspired by Christ. And so if you're here today, and you know what you believe, that's okay. I've been there, man. Sometimes I still am there. It's all right. Do you see how your life could could benefit so much from trying to spend time, trying to be with this guy, okay, who's done so much in this world? It, it's just, it's, it's a win-win for you. And what, what I just want to caution you on, though, okay, if you lean in and you start studying who Jesus is and you start trying to follow his teachings and do the kind of things that he did, I just want fair warning to those of you who are, that's where you are right now. Um, you might just end up with bold faith, okay? So just, I'm just letting you know, because that's what happened to me. Start doing stuff, start applying these counterintuitive, countercultural principles that you initially resist because they're crazy, and then all of a sudden you realize, Oh my goodness, this is the greatest stuff ever. I can't believe this. This must be from God. So just be careful. Speak his word to the wise. Be careful before you lean in, okay? Some of us know what I'm talking about. But here's here's what I, I don't want you to miss, okay? Bold faith comes from being with Jesus. So are you making time to be influenced by arguably the greatest person to ever walk the face of the earth that many of us here believe actually believe was God, which is even bigger reason. Now, in the few minutes that we have left, I, I want to um, have you wrestle with a question. And I, and I want us to wrestle with this question throughout this series. And the question is, where is God calling you to be bold? Where is God calling you to be bold. And I want, I'm going to give you a minute to let that sit. I'm going to tell you where God is calling us as a church to be bold. We believe for a long, long time now that God is calling us to be bold in how we reach out to those who are disconnected from God and help them to connect with him. So much of that is tied into this whole concept of being a church for people who don't go to church. But one of the things that we've been studying a lot and observing is a phenomenon that's sweeping our nation and and the world in the church today, is that when new churches are started or a church starts like an additional location, a new thing in a new area, it's the craziest thing. But you know what happens? All sorts of people who are disconnected from God with all sorts of questions and struggles and, and doubts and everything, they show up to that place. It's wild. It's almost as if like a new thing is like, hey, it's a new beginning. Like we can all, it's safe. And it's like safe for people who don't go to church. Safe, safe for people who are disconnected from God. 
It's incredible. People are drawn there. And so we've been seeing this happen. We've been talking. We've been praying. And um, I'm super, super excited. And many of you know this because you've, you've heard us talking about it. But in case you haven't heard, on March the 5th, just three Sundays from today, will be the first ever Grace Community Church service in West Falls Church, George Mason High School. And um, that service is going to be Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. And basically, the goal is to create an experience where we have one church in two locations. So it's an additional location for us. We're trying to basically mirror everything that happens in Arlington. We're trying to mirror that over in West Falls Church. And so essentially, we're going to have a team that will be playing music on stage there, just like these guys are playing right now. Uh, we're going to have a live on-site welcome and announcements. I'm, I'm actually going to be the, the site pastor there. So when I'm not doing a sermon here, I will be over there in West Falls Church. And, um, and then we're going to have a video feed that transmits the, the sermon live to that location. We got uh, children's programs and, and youth programs just like we have here. And so um, we've actually, this month, the month of February, we're doing what we we're calling dry run. We're doing practice sessions of uh, just trying to make sure all the technology works and we can get everything set up and broken down. And we've got a, a team, we call them a launch team, of 70 people. And they're actually, right now, they, that, that team of 70 is at George Mason High School and they're tuning in with us in this service. And... Um, I just want to give a shout out to them right now. We love you guys out there. It's awesome. What's up, West Falls Church? And I was there last week uh, for, for the first dry run, man, and it was, it was just awesome. The energy, the excitement. And I just want to tell you, okay, for those of you who are here, maybe you're tuning in online, if you want to be in the midst of a new thing that God is doing in our midst, if you ask that question, God, where are you calling me to be bold? Maybe it has something to do with this additional location we're starting in West Falls Church. Because you see, we got 70 on this launch team. What it means to be on the launch team is you're just on a volunteer team somewhere. You're greeting, you're set up, you're working with kids, you're doing something. You're officially in the game, rolling your sleeves up as part of that team. And we're looking for 30 more people, 30 more people who take us to a team of 100 strong when we start on March the 5th. Maybe for some of you, God's calling you right now. Maybe if you're going to be honest with yourself, your faith right now has just kind of gotten a little bit routine. You're kind of going through the motions. Maybe this is the opportunity for you to step out and do a bold new thing. And so I just want to give you the opportunity, if you're here this morning, and you want to be a part of that bold new thing that God is doing in West Falls Church, I'm going to give you a link. It's super, super simple. You hit this link on your smartphone, and it, all it's asking you for is name, phone number, and email. That's it. So those three things. Just type in bit.ly forward slash WFC team. That stands for West Falls Church team. Bit.ly slash WFC team. You can do it right now. And um, just jump in. Be a part of it. We'll invite you to be part of that team. It is, it is awesome what is happening 
over there. Just be encouraged, even if, you, even if that's not where you sense God calling you, that there's some bold new thing that, that God is up to within our church. So um, regardless of whether you're feeling a stirring toward that thing or something else, I want us all to wrestle with this question. Where is God calling you to be bold? Where is God calling you to be bold? Maybe God is calling you to be bold in the area of racial reconciliation. Maybe you jumped in or maybe you didn't jump in. Maybe it was a little too uncomfortable. Maybe it's hard to take a stand and it's hard to put yourself out there. Maybe God has you doing something boldly in that area to continue this momentum, what we're doing toward racial reconciliation. Maybe God's calling you to boldly do something that scares you, to face that fear head on and trust God. Maybe it's something to do with your work, your career. There's a bold new direction or a bold step God wants you to take. Maybe there's something bold involving a relationship. Maybe God's calling you to be bold with your finances and trust God with them a little bit more. Or maybe there's a dream that you've had and God's saying it's time to turn that dream into a reality and boldly move on that. I don't know where it is, but I know one thing for sure. If you're here today and you call yourself a Christian, okay, and you say that you're doing your best to try and follow Christ, you gotta understand something. Jesus was bold, you guys. I mean, it's fun to talk about, I wish I would have lived 2,000 years ago and I could have seen all that stuff, but let me tell you the other side of that coin, okay? Every day, Jesus was stretching his disciples. Every single day, Jesus was out there and he was boldly challenging the religious authorities of his day who were oppressing people, who were perverting the name of God. Every day, Jesus was out there boldly caring for the sick and the needy, stretching into very uncomfortable situations. Every day, Jesus was confronting injustices in that nation. Every day, Jesus was boldly loving and serving other people. And you know what he was doing with his disciples? <laughs> he was boldly saying, come on, guys. I know you're scared. I know you're uncomfortable. We got to be bold. Come on. He was constantly stretching them. And I just want to give you something that, that might mess with you a little bit, but I, I just feel really challenged to say it this morning. Knowing that, if you're not being stretched in at least one area of your life, then you're probably not fully in tune with what God is saying to you. I'm gonna say that again. If you're not being stretched in at least one area of your life, like you're not feeling any push to have to be bold and courageous and trust God, then you're probably not fully in tune with what God is saying to you. And the reason that I believe that so strongly is because our God loves us so much. Our God is constantly interested in us growing and, and being molded and shaped into the people that he wants us to be. 
And that involves stretching. It involves getting uncomfortable. It involves having to rely on him. That's why we need faith. And so I just want to take a moment right now. I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes just right where you are. Unless you're listening online and you're driving, okay? Keep your eyes open. I just want us to be quiet for a second. And I just want us to just have a second to see if God might say anything as we all agree with the question I'm about to speak. God, where are you calling me to be bold? We just invite you in these next few moments to just lay something on us. God, where are you calling us to be bold? God, we thank you for the many of us who have just heard a word from you. We have a sense for what you have just said to us. We know that there's some area where we need to be bold, where you're calling us forward. God, I thank you for that and for all those who have a sense of what that is. I pray, God, that you would give them boldness and courage now to be able to act on what you said and not just sit with it and dismiss it, but do something about it. And for the rest of us who don't have a clear sense, God, speak to us. Show us where do you want us to be bold? Where do you want to stretch us? Where do we need to rely on you more? God, Help us with our faith. Lord, make it stronger. We, we want to have bold faith. Help those of us who just struggle with discipline and carving out time just to spend a few minutes with you. Help us to do that so we could know you better and hear you clearly. And just show us where you want us to be bold. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.